the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know that you have a courageous mind when you and I are able to behave publicly our faith fully. Secondly, a courageous mind boldly contends for the faith with God's people. Okay, that's the second mark. The second mark is this. You are a courageous Christian, a, a Christian with a, with a courageous mind, if you boldly contend for the faith with God's people. L- look at the verse again. Then whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. When, it come, when the Bible says when it comes to our testimony, two is better than one. We can all agree with that. How many of you know there's strength in numbers? Iron sharpens iron, the whole thing. Tough-minded people, courageous people, surround themselves with like-minded people. We have the same Holy Spirit, that fills us and leads us and empowers us so that we can be strong, not just as individuals, but as a collective group of Christians, as a corporate body of Christ. We cannot possibly stand on the gospel without being united in what it means. Okay? Uh, We cannot unite as a church. We cannot unite with other Christians if we have different interpretations of the gospel. The gospel has one singular source of power, and that's the Holy Spirit. We can uphold each other's testimony because we have the same birth, the same common spiritual birth. We may have differing circumstances on how we came to know Jesus. Our circumstances and the way we encountered Him in life may be different, but it's the same kind of gospel. It's the same kind of spirit. So we need to have a unified testimony we, because we have the same new birth. We share the same baptism. We share, we share the same filling of that Holy Spirit. You know, when I was growing up as a, as a Christian, I hear a lot of other Christians saying, oh, we need to have more accountability in our church, more accountability. That's really code for saying, I watch your life, you watch my life. And that's wonderful. That's great. But the problem with our idea our uh, definition of accountability is that it's limited to taking care of each other's spiritual condition. But there's far deeper ramifications for being accountable. Not only are we being accountable to each other's spiritual condition, we are also upholding the gospel. This is a unified testimony. You cannot have a different testimony about how the gospel affected your life than another person it's a unifying truth that brings us together we are upholding and defending and advancing the truth of christ's word that's a much deeper deeper consequence that we need to look at when we say we're going to stand together okay so when someone is saying something that is not consistent with what jesus has commanded there's a lot more at stake than that, that person's spiritual life, 
what at stake is the testimony of the gospel. No, Jesus is the head. Jesus is in heaven seated on the throne. Who do you think represents Jesus here on earth? The church. Christians. And if our testimony is disjointed, we're never going to have that power that can transform other people's lives. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the only one that can restore, heals, and satisfy. The world needs to hear that among all who call on the name of the Lord as a unified testimony, as a unifying testimony. It's sad today. I was listening to a radio program. Did you know that there are now branches of, of, of Christianity that call themselves uh, progressive Christians? As if it should be, you know, <laughs> as if we should classify ourselves between conservative and progressive. I mean, how can you and I really unite if at the very basis of our testimony is a division on how we view the scriptures? It, it floored me. I mean, I, I mean it, it just, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, grasp it. Some Christians believe that, hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with that lifestyle. You know, it should be accepted in church. Some people are saying, well, you know, you know we're, we're really too, too stringent. We're too strict as Christians. That's why we can't reach the world. Pastor, I attend your church. I, I heard this, <laughs> this person say, say to me one time, I attend your church. Y you know, if you just loosen up when you preach, if you just loosen up a little bit on the rules, Pastor, on the scriptures, then you will fill your church. There'll be a lot of people filling up your church. So I get to ask the question, what's more important to God? A church filled with people or a spirit-filled church? There's not much of a question. God calls his people. No pastor is smart enough to grow a church. If growing a church means we compromise on our testimony... I don't want to have any part of it because the Word of God will endure forever. That's, that's what I stand on. I don't know where you stand on, but Jesus says heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will endure forever. We have a strong foundation in the Word of God. The Word of God is solid ground. Amen? All right. And it doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter how you dress yourself up, okay? You know, I, I had a, now let me just share this with you. I, I can get to, to share this. When I was in high school, I went to this ROTC thing, you know, military kind of training. And uh, our, our commandant says, whatever you do, you need to wear the best boots you can find because it's going to be rough terrain. You're going to be walking on rough ground. And I discovered that it doesn't matter how stable or how great how expensive the pair of boots you wear if you step on quicksand you're gonna sink oh look at my shiny new boots step on quicksand you sink it has nothing to do with what we bring it has everything to do with where we stand how we're, are we standing on the solid ground of god's word because that's what matters in the end there's a lot of like Yvonne says there's a lot of truths out there but there's really one truth that we rally behind. And it's not a what, it's a who. It's Jesus. So whatever Jesus said, that's what we stand on. We stand on the word of truth. We cannot unify. We cannot boldly contend with differing understanding of the gospel. 
problem with our world today is that many Christians have been enticed, especially the younger generation of Christians. We have replaced truth with a whole lot of other things, you know. I mean, it saddens me because I have, you know, it's a lot of young people nowadays that have been won over by kindness and compassion and grace. Wait a minute, Pastor. What's wrong with that? Aren't we as Christians supposed to be kind and compassionate? Of course. That's what we've been called to do. But listen, not at the expense of truth. Not at the expense of truth. To truly be kind, to truly be loving, to truly be gracious, we need to speak the truth. That's what the scripture says. Jesus never says, and you shall know kindness, and kindness will set you free. Is that what Jesus said? No. And you shall know compassion, and compassion will set you free. Is that what Jesus said? No, Jesus said this, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I know it's not uh, popular these days to talk about that. But that's why we need to be bold in standing for. Winston Churchill once says, the truth can be so obscured because it tends to be surrounded by a bodyguard of lies. And I think he's right. You know, the truth is there. But when we surround it with a bodyguard of lies, it's going to get obscured. And very soon, we don't know anymore where we stand. Because we're afraid we might be labeled as hateful people because we're making a stand for, for the biblical pattern of marriage, for the biblical pattern of family, for the biblical pattern of how we conduct ourselves in public. That's not popular. I'm not telling you something that, I, you know, that I'm just trying to judge people. Nothing can be farther from the truth. But a tough mind says, I'm going to contend for what has already been revealed to me by the Scriptures. The Bible says that God is looking through and fro on the earth, seeking those whose hearts and minds are loyal to Him. If I ask you this morning, what do you think is the one attribute about God that the Bible talks about the most? So I, I ask a lot of people about this, like a probing question. And you know what I get? Well, to me, God is love. There's no doubt about it. God is love. Amen. We can agree with that. But that's not the most prominent term given to God in the Bible. You know what the most prominent term given to God in the Bible is? Holy. God is holy. And if Chuck will allow me, I'll preach for a little bit. <laughs> the gospel is good news. Amen? But you cannot give somebody good news without letting them know there's bad news. One thing cannot be good without a bad. And the good news about the gospel is this. That Jesus is Lord and he can save you. He can cleanse you. He can forgive you. He can restore your life. He can give you eternal life. The bad news is this. When you reject that, there's hell to be paid. It's as simple as that. We contend for that truth. Jude 1.3 says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. There's only one gospel that God has given to His people. And that is the gospel 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, a courageous mind is broken but confident and without fear of persecution. Look at the verse again. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved and that by God. Paul was saying, don't be afraid to stand on the word of truth and don't be frightened by those who will oppose you because when they oppose the message of the gospel, it's a sign that they don't know it and there they will be separated from God. But if you do know it, you know that you are saved because you're standing on it. And we are the instrument that God will use to reach out to those people so they too can be saved. You know, when I was a student pastor in Salinas many years ago, I was 22 years old. I was a student pastor in Salinas working under a retired elderly pastor. And this elderly pastor told me one time, I want you to preach on hell this coming Sunday. And you know, when you're a 22-year-old pastor, you know what I discovered at that time? I knew everything. I was the Jedi Knight of all student pastors at that time. I really knew everything. I was convinced of it. So he asked me to preach on hell. So I, you know, I studied and I gave the most frightening, the most convicting, the most compelling sermon I can have on hell. I, it was so compelling and so frightening. I was convinced the devil was scared. I was convinced the devil wants to get saved. Enough, enough already. That's how compelling it was. It was earth-shattering after, after the service. I, you know, you know, I kind of feeling good about myself. And the elderly pastor came up to me. And without regards to my feeling, he said to me, that was awful. And I said, why would anybody oppose a message like that? You know, I said, why? He said, you know, people got upset. At, at the, the preaching. And you know, with, with all my spiritual pride at the time, I said, hey, you know, if the reality of hell doesn't register in their mind, then so be it. I'd rather have them get upset with me than God get upset with them. Oh, he said, no, 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 no. It's not about the preaching on hell that they're offended. They're offended because your preaching sounds like you want them to go to hell. I hope I'm not giving that effect to you this morning, okay? It's a tough job. So to vindicate myself, a few Sundays later, I preached on heaven. And it is the most wonderful message about heaven you can ever hear. My description of heaven was so beautiful that I am convinced, I was convinced that Satan wanted to repent and go to heaven. It was beautiful. After the service, I didn't wait for the pastor to come up to me. I came up to him. I said, so what do you think now? He said, oh, that was awful. <laughs> what did I do now? I can't win on this. And he said, you know, we had several World War II veterans in the church. They saw firsthand the horrors of war. And you came across preaching about heaven as if those Nazi war criminals will be in there. The point of the matter is, when you give your life to Christ, there will be opposition, no matter what you do. I stopped talking to the pastor after I preached, because I discovered he was a Presbyterian, a Reformed Presbyterian. He probably didn't believe that I was one of the elect anyway. 
So, <laughs> so I stopped talking to him. Following Jesus comes with a built-in opposition. There will be people who will not like what we stand for. And as God's people, these are people that we love, people that we respect, uh, people that, that we value our relationship with. But when we make a stand on our faith, loved ones, we're going to face an opposition, even from fellow Christians. Okay, so that's why sometimes we tend to loosen up and compromise a little bit because if we don't budge, you know, sometimes they feel like, you know, you're you're being holier than them. But that that's not the truth. We need a tough mind. We need to be broken before God. What does it mean to be broken before God? It, it means very simply that you realize your own need for salvation, that you don't want other people not to have what you have. That's what it means to be broken. You know, when I look at myself in the mirror and then I recite that verse that says, I am God's inheritance, you know, I question that. How could somebody like me be labeled by God as his inheritance? The fact of the matter is God loved me enough to send his son to die in my place because I couldn't save myself. None of us can save ourselves. We need a savior. And when I realize that I'm not going to ever have an opportunity to be reconciled with God unless God does something about it, that convinced me. To be broken before God is to recognize our own failures, our own sinfulness, our own lack of ability to save ourselves. And when you know that, and when I know that, we have no choice but to tell other people, hey, you need to have what I have. You need to have the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can give us a new life. He's going to give us a new birth, a new and living way. And we too will have eternal life. You too will have eternal life. And you will not perish. That's what it means to be broken before God. When we truly have that desire to get people to know Jesus the way we do, Paul says that's a sign that you're being saved. That's a sign that you belong to God. When you actually see people are, are driving straight to an eternity separated from God and you want to stop them, that's when you know you're going to be with the Lord. When you don't have, when I don't have that kind of burden to look at people and say, oh, just, just, just live your life the way you want to live it. And when you die, God will take you to heaven anyway. If you have that kind of mindset, you're not broken before God. A person broken before God aches that that you have to tell other people you know unless you come to that reconciling power that jesus gave us on the cross you will live an eternity separated from god and like a lot of people say well i'm good enough i never killed anybody i never cheated on my taxes i was a good husband i was a good father i was good at everything that i did i lived a successful life the only thing i don't have in my life is a relationship with god why would god send me to an eternal separation from him if i'm a hundred percent good the fact of the matter is no one is a hundred percent good no one not a single one and if we are a hundred percent good and if we have never made any kind of sin or mistake in life then we don't need a savior but the fact of the matter is none of us bible says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of god and we need to come to grips with that i have a captive audience here so i have to say that to you this morning. You need to have a personal encounter with Jesus. Otherwise, you'll not be broken. Otherwise, all you have is religion. Oh, I attend Living Rock Christian Church. Big deal. The devil was here before Janine and the band came. He beat you. 
So don't don't use this as an excuse. When you're at ten, you know, I was, <laughs> I was born Orthodox. Oh yeah, spell that. <laughs> Can't even spell, and you belong to that church. It has nothing to do with that. You have to have an encounter with the living Christ. That's what's gonna break you and I. Paul says in Second Corinthians twelve ten for that. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. In insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He was broken. Courage comes from being broken before God. When you know where you've been and was delivered from that transgression, you and I will have enough courage to tell people the truth about Christ without fear of persecution. I have one more point and I will close. A courageous mind believes that carrying the cross to the faithful is a privilege. Look at the last verse. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. I've always had trouble with that verse. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have, it has been granted on our behalf, not only to believe, but also to suffer for Him. Cross-bearing to a Christian is a privilege. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Cross-bearing, suffering for being a Christian is part of our calling. It's part of our worship. The Holy Spirit gives us the courage of heart and the courage of mind to understand that cross-bearing, suffering for the sake of Christ is something to be expected because that's the way to glory. It's a privilege that has been given to us. Let me be clear. We do not invite suffering in our lives. We do not engage in, in, in looking to find ways so that we can suffer for Christ. What I'm simply saying is what Scripture says. If you follow Jesus, expect to suffer for His name. It's part of it. We can't avoid it. What are some of the things that we suffer when we follow Jesus? I have mentioned many of them. You will lose some friends. You will lose maybe your job. You will lose maybe your position, your prestige, your reputation. That all comes from bearing our cross. Because when people put you on the corner and say, what do you believe about a certain thing? And if you believe in the words of Jesus, you will not only behave, but affirm those things. And when you affirm those things, people are going to say, I don't think so. And then you'll suffer for it. But the Bible promises us that it's a privilege. Without suffering, there's no glory. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Cross-bearing is one of those identifying marks of true believers. We are tough-minded in the midst of our struggles because we know that joy and gladness is at the end of it. We know that the gospel is good news because we know what it's like to be in those bad situations and be brought by the grace of God into a place of victory. First Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. We participate in the suffering of Christ as part of our worship. What happens when we realize that? God gives us the courage of mind and the courage of heart. We will suffer setbacks in life but our testimonies will be intact. We will suffer adversities in life,
But don't look at those things as God's punishment or God's whatever. They are a privilege being given to us because our faith is being tested. God wants to raise us up to be tough-minded people who will uphold the word of truth in the world. Oh, I haven't told you the end of the story of Jim Marshall. We only remember Jim Marshall as the, as the football player who picked up a fumble and ran at the wrong direction. But what we don't know was in the very next play in that same game, he sacked the quarterback, resulting in a fumble, and one of his teammates grabbed the ball and scored the winning touchdown. So it ended well. Your suffering, your sacrifices for Christ will end up in receiving glory and honor, not only to his name, but also to your name. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.